What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of California Underground. I'm here with my co-host, Camille. How are you, Camille? How was your Christmas? I'm good. Thank you. Christmas was good. It was a warm day. It's back to being cold. Yeah, it was like a stereotypical, well, not stereotypical, but it felt kind of, I don't know if I should have felt bad that we were basking in like 70 degree weather <laughs> and the rest of the country is dealing with like below freezing and like Buffalo has like six feet of snow and we're just like, ooh, it's hot. It's like 75 degrees here. This is really out of control. That's why we pay $6 a gallon for gas. Well, that's one of the reasons we pay $6 a gallon for gas. You know, they say that's the sunshine tax. Uh, also, Camille is also rocking the California Underground t-shirt. So rocking merch. Um, always appreciate it. I'm rocking my mug. So. I was so glad to see that you had navy blue. Navy blue is my color. I own it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, I, I think I added a bunch of colors to the t-shirt. So if you don't like black, which is like the default for all of them, I think there's a whole bunch of different colors. There's like white and navy blue and I, I don't know you have to go check it out but um the point of tonight's episode is not to talk about christmas and the warm weather we're here to talk about the top stories of 2022 regarding california politics um, i think it's a perfect time to wrap it all up we're th two three days away from the new year's uh so here we are we want to talk about the biggest stories in our opinion that happened in california and i think there's a bunch of them we're going to try and get through as many as possible. Uh, if you are an avid listener, you may hear me talk about stuff that I've said before. I apologize, but, you know, maybe my feelings haven't really changed. Now you get to hear Camille's perspective on a lot of these stories. Um, so, ladies first, what's the first story you want to talk about in 2022? Let's talk about Proposition 1. I guess okay. that's just near and dear to my heart. Okay. What do you want to talk so, about? Obviously, that came about because, I wouldn't say it came about, but people really showed up because of um, the Jobs decision with the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And um, Californians were going to make sure that we added to our Constitution, our California Constitution, that we added to Article 1, we amended Article 1 to make sure that abortion was a human right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this was, uh, on top of there already are laws in California that protect this right. Um, I don't know why I put air quotes, but to protect this right, uh, this seemed to be something on top of it. And if you're legally speaking about what this means, the California Constitution supersedes all laws in the state of California. So no law can go against the California Constitution. Uh, enshrining a right in the California Constitution means that it's not as easy as if down the road uh, a miracle happens. And let's say a different party takes over the legislature and a different party takes over the governorship uh, that they can go, OK, well, now we're not going to listen to this law and we're going to overturn it. You would have to actually get it revoked out of the California constitution, which requires a whole proposition um, and people to vote on it. It passed pretty overwhelmingly. It wasn't even really a, a close race for prop one. Um, and I think we've talked about this before. 67% or just under 67% voted. That's, yes. that's pretty damn high. It is on a proposition like that. 
I would venture to say a lot of people didn't even know this proposition was happening because I didn't see any advertising regarding this proposition at all. I didn't even see, I saw like a couple pro ads at the end of the election cycle, but I was surprised that there wasn't more from different organizations, different pro-life organizations that actually went out and said, let's just get some ads out there to show like what this is going to be and activate voters. It, it, it was almost like no one talked about, like it was a foregone conclusion that it was going to win. So people just didn't even try to defeat it. Did you get that sense as well? Um, I, I heard a lot about it, but I'm also a part of a lot of pro-life groups. Like I follow a lot of pro-life groups, but mm -hmm. I don't, where would I necessarily hear advertisements besides I'm not like, you and I are younger. We probably don't have regular TV with commercials. We're probably not listening to regular radio with commercials. Yeah. I'm assuming. And so I don't know where we would be hearing necessarily these ads, but I personally follow a lot of pro-life uh, social media accounts. Yeah. And I would say my circle is mostly pro-life people or at least very far right people. Not that I don't have far left friends, but so what I'm seeing on social media there was a lot of talk about this against it. Yeah. And I, I think there was definitely a group of the electorate that was activated against it. It's just interesting to me that there was, that didn't translate into yard signs. It didn't translate into, uh, which our good friend, Cynthia hates yard signs. Um, I'm surprised we didn't see yard signs. They don't do anything. Sorry. I interrupted you. I hear, I hear yard signs really don't do anything that's never like they've determined in polls yeah, that people I, are not really swayed by them. Yeah. I don't think they move the needle at all. Um, nobody looks at a yard sign just goes, Hey, I know that name. I'm going to vote for him. Um, yeah. I was just surprised that it, it didn't, there wasn't more of a push back on prop one. Maybe people just figured it's not worth the money, but um, maybe it's, it's kind of depressing because I think, Sometimes there is such things in politics as a moral victory. Um, and in the sense that you could make a election a lot closer and maybe kind of shock the established politicians here in California. Like when prop eight didn't pass or was it prop eight passed or didn't pass? I don't know. That was a long time ago. It passed, right? That was the no hate, right? In like, yeah, it was when gay marriage was first voted on, and it didn't pass, and it shocked everyone that gay that marriage did. That was a long time ago. That was a long time. I think I was like back in college when that happened. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's there's some sort of moral victory of it probably was going to pass anyway. But one thing I did want to kind of look at and. I apologize. I should have done this before hopping on the show tonight. Um, but with all the other stories, I want to make sure I, I knew about all of them is kind of just break down how different groups voted for prop one, because I would venture to say there's probably something you can read in the tea leaves among different minority groups regarding prop one and whether the Hispanic community voted overwhelmingly for it. Um, or the Asian American community voted overwhelmingly for it. And if not, is that something that conservatives can kind of look at and say, well, this is an issue these groups are not 
110% behind. Maybe it's something we can use. And I was just surprised that there wasn't more of a fight to say like, hey, make it a struggle for prop one to pass so that they know, okay, this is the line in the sand of like how far we can go with this and push. But when it passes with 67%, they're like, ah, great. We can just go farther and farther and farther down the road with this. And that's what I think is scary is that, you know, you may have not beat this right now, but you could have sent a stronger message to politicians that, yeah, this barely passed. You kind of pushed the envelope here. So probably don't push it that much more. True. Two things on that. One, I'm kind of disappointed that you didn't ask me to look up all that information. <laughs> regarding- I apologize. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. Apology accepted. Second, maybe we should real quick recap exactly what Proposition 1 did just for those who are listening and are still confused or don't know. Yeah, Prop 1 uh, very basically uh, protect, protects the right to reproductive choices. Um, it doesn't say abortion in it, but it's kind of enshrined of like you can choose how whether you want to take a child to term or if you want to get an abortion it's very very broadly written and i think they did that on purpose so that laws written that would conform to prop one uh that's not part of the california constitution they wouldn't be in violation of it so a legal reading of it if you wrote a law that says oh we can you can have an abortion up until an hour after you give birth they may look at it and go, well, you know, it's pretty broad, the California constitutional right. So therefore it's a valid law and we're not going to strike it down. Um, so that's what prop one basically did. It, it was, it was definitely pro abortion in terms of protecting that abortion, right? It was definitely a political move by California Democrats after the Dobbs decision, which was probably the biggest political story I would argue in 2022. Right. Um, was that row was overturned. And I think California was just kind of planting its flag in virtue signal world of like, we're going to get this out. It was a constitutional amendment proposed by the Senate of the California legislature. And yeah, I mean, it passed overwhelmingly. So it does protect that right to an abortion, even though it doesn't say abortion. And I keep using air quotes. I don't know why. Uh, it actually does say abortion in the wording. Oh, it does so say abortion. One, yeah, Article 1 of the California Constitution, Section 1, it was added as Section 1.1. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the state shall not deny or interfere with an individual's reproductive freedom in their most intimate decisions, which includes their fundamental right to choose to have an abortion and their fundamental right to choose or refuse contraceptives. And then it goes on. Uh, um, okay. But... Regarding this, because it specifically does say which uh, it freedom in their most intimate decisions, which includes so re- reproductive freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, they California put out that website. What is it like abortion.ca.gov or something like that, um, mm-hmm. where you can go to find where to get an abortion. And mm-hmm. on that, have you seen that on that website? They have a, like a resource link and they actually want people to report pregnancy crisis centers for misinformation. 
because pregnancy crisis centers don't generally offer abortion. Therefore, they are not pro-choice clinics. And are you pulling it up? I'm pulling it up right now. Okay. So um, they actually have like a, a, a PDF. If you go to support, I think it is. Is it? support and then um maybe it's maybe it's under getting now nah, i forget whatever it doesn't matter anyway they have this I printed that out. this is a pdf that this is a know the differences between crisis pregnancy centers versus reproductive health care facilities and then they mm-hmm. want people there's like a form that you can click to uh report crisis pregnancy centers mind you we state dollars states are t- taxes state funds are funding abortions, but we are not funding crisis pregnancy centers. And so I don't see how this protects your most most intimate decisions for reproductive rights. Like this is, like you said, this is very pro-abortion. This is not pro-choice. Like we really went to, we're without saying it, we're an abortion state. We are not a pro-choice state. We are not friendly yeah. towards the choice of keeping the baby. No, we're we're not friendly towards the choice of do you want to keep a baby and start a family or do you not want to start it? It's you're pro this one choice and right. the the one choice is abortion. Um for those of you for people who are listening, can you explain like what's the difference um what is what, what you're saying? The pregnancy centers, like, what do they do, and what's what's why are why are people reporting them? <laughs> so, a crisis pregnancy center would be that if you are a woman, not a birthing person, but a woman who finds yourself pregnant with crisis pregnancy, what, whatever the situation is, um, abusive relationships, rape, single, poor, low income whatever it may be, and you would like to find other resources, other options other than abortion, maybe you would like to adopt out your baby, maybe you wanna keep your baby and you don't know how that's gonna be possible. And so a crisis pregnancy would be something that would help you um, with, with setting you up with adoption, setting you up with, uh, you know, food, baby. Uh, they're often funded, obviously, nonprofits. Um, so they're not funded by the state, they're funded via people. Um, many churches obviously work with a lot of these crisis pregnancy centers to help the women. I know uh, the church that I used to go to and my sister, her and her husband have a church and they are very involved with several local crisis pregnancy centers where they will throw baby showers for all the women having babies. They will do Christmas parties, you know, stuff like that. And so these are not funded by the state. Therefore, this is not, this is like if you and I choose to go and fund them personally, this is not our tax dollars. It's something we could, you know, do. But yet the state wants to shut them down because a crisis pregnancy center is misinformation because they don't actually help you with getting an abortion. Got it. So it's the choice of keeping the baby. Right. And they don't want that. Whereas Planned Parenthood isn't going to help you get adopt out your baby or keep your baby. They are there to give you an abortion to end your pregnancy. Got it. Okay. But we fund Planned Parenthood with tax dollars. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, it just all comes back to it. You have one choice in California and there's one approved choice. Uh, and we've talked about this as, and maybe, you know, one day, 
in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about more in terms of like our Cal Republican platform and all that stuff and sort of our answer to what that is and what that means. But we won't get into that tonight because that's not the point of what that is. But um, it is interesting that they always say they're pro-choice when in reality they're just pro this only choice. Um, you can't be anything else. Um, is there anything else you want to touch upon with Prop 1 before we move on? Look, I don't think so. I think we covered it. Okay. Uh, let's see. What's a story? I was going to say, though, it actually is interesting because, like you said, a lot of people probably didn't know because more people did show up to vote no on Proposition 27, which was the legalizing sports betting. I think uh, almost 9 million people show up to vote for Prop 27, whereas it was just over 7 million for Prop 1. That's really weird. Uh, and, but, Prop 27 had way more advertising. Yeah, way more. I mean, I got mailers about it daily. I got mailers. I could not watch a YouTube video without Prop 27 <laughs> being shoved down my throat. Um, yeah, my 15-year-old daughter was like, I'm voting no because everything I see told me no. And of course, she can't vote, but she was making a mockery of it because she's like, all I hear, she's like, I get the mail and all I see, I get advertisements on YouTube and Twitter. And she's like, I'm voting no. That was the <laughs> one that we disagreed on where I actually voted yes on it. But yes, well. That's a conversation for another day. Um, I want to talk about real quick uh, this because this is sort of interesting to me as an attorney, and I'll try and make this as quick as possible, um, is the announcement of uh, Gavin Newsom's care court. So if you, for those who are listening, if you don't know what his care court is, it's basically a ripoff of Michael Schellenberger's uh, plan to kind of attack homelessness or tackle homelessness, not attack homelessness. That sounds horrible that they're going to attack the homeless um, to tackle homelessness. Maybe that's the solution. Maybe we just have to attack homeless people. No, no, we're not, we're not <laughs> just that is completely a joke for anybody who wants to take that out of context. I disavow attacking homeless people. Do not attack homeless people. Don't attack um, anyone. Yeah. Don't attack anybody. In fact, just, you know, keep your, you know, what's about you and don't attack anybody. Anyway, so he came up with this Caracourt idea, and it, it, like I said, it's a ripoff of Michael Schellenberger's idea. What it basically is, and it's going to be interesting in terms of civil rights, because I, the idea is basically, here's the, the basic gist of it, is that they will start arresting homeless people. And when these homeless people are taken to court, they will give them a choice. And the choice is you can either go to jail for what you did um, or you can go into rehab. Um, Wait, hold on. Also, Why are they arresting homeless people? Like just homeless people that committed crimes? You weren't very clear on that. Public intoxication being, you know, a nuisance. I mean, you could, I mean, there's plenty of things you can pick up homeless people on um, all the time. Um, you know, public nudity. It, it's just, the idea is that they can actually have a way, a mechanism to kind of get them in court and then force them to go into some sort of rehab. Okay. Um, and the court would order mental health service, sort of like there would be a conservatorship over this person. Now, okay. there's been a lot of pushback in terms of civil rights who say, well, you can't force people to take mental or go into rehab or mental treatment against their will. Um, also the details of it are really, really sparse. 
in terms of how they're actually going to implement this. Uh, they do have attorneys who are court-appointed attorneys for conservatorships. I don't know if they want to start doing that for this certain thing. Are they going to appoint like private attorneys like myself and say, okay, you're going to be a member of care court and you're going to protect like it's, it's right now there it's, it's sparse on details and it brings up a lot of questions about whether or not it will actually work. Um, it's a bold solution. At least it's a solution. I feel like it's something that Newsom definitely ripped off of Michael Schellenberger. And I think Schellenberger rightly called him out for saying, yeah, you ripped off basically what I said, which was he wants to do, he called it Cal psych, which is the state would create basically one giant program called Cal psych. And they would kind of get all the homeless people who are suffering from mental issues into this Cal psych program. Um, but it will be interesting to see because homelessness is an issue. And right now, outside of spending, I don't know, billions and billions of dollars on it. I mean, what does San Francisco spend? Billions of dollars, $14 billion a year on homelessness, and it's not getting better. It is interesting to see whether Newsom will get this finished before his the end of his next term, um, which will begin in January. And if he does... What's, and then, then he wants to run for president. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, which we're going to get to. We're going to talk about why he did stuff this year that I think shows that he wants to run for president. Uh, but that's something to keep your eye on in terms of whether or not it this will go through and whether it will look good for Gavin Newsom. Will it actually be a solution? Will there be a bajillion lawsuits regarding civil rights of the homeless? Um, I think there's a lot of people who are just fed up with homeless. They're at, they're at a point where they're just going, I, I don't know, just do something, just do anything. Like we, we can't keep going down the same road. Nothing's working, like try something different. So that's a story that I thought was bigger. And, um, uh, you know, I've learned a lot about it through, uh, different attorney groups and stuff like that. So I thought it was interesting. I could just see, and I'm being serious when I say this in a few years, the homeless groups rise up and they're kind of like the new BLM for their, because they're going to feel like they are being targeted simply for being homeless, not for committing crimes. There's going to be like a whole uprising of them against the state, you know, against the system. Yeah. They're gonna be like, you hate us because we're homeless. Yeah. I think I'm not, there's I'm not a joke. I'm like, I could see that happening. Oh, I could definitely see that happening in different places in LA and San Francisco. I could definitely see groups of, you know, middle-class college students creating these organizations and marching in the name. Yeah. Free the homeless or something like, yeah, it'll be like, I heart homeless or something like that will be their slogan. But yeah, I could see that. And that's, the merch now will be ahead of the game. I'm sorry. That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> don't don't do that either. Um, and don't attack homeless people. <laughs> okay. So, so we're clear. We're not attacking people. We're not making homeless people merch. Okay. Yeah. We're not calling for people to attack homeless people. Don't attack homeless people. Uh, all right. So that was my second or first one. What's, what's the mm -hmm. next one you want to talk about? Um, shall we talk about I guess this actually almost goes along with it, but Gavin Newsom vetoing, um, what was it? SB 57. You want to talk about that? Yes. Let's talk about that one. 
Okay, you talk. Uh, okay. Uh, Senate Bill 57. I have it right in front of me. The bill would have authorized legal operation of drug harm reduction centers in the major metropolises of LA, San Francisco, and Oakland. In San Francisco, a test pilot program where people could use illegal drugs under medical supervision has been active since January. Um, and this was a bill that went in front of Gavin Newsom um, and he vetoed it. And I think a lot of people were shocked that he vetoed something like this because it had a lot of support from his Democratic colleagues. Uh, it was authored by Scott Weiner, yes? Uh, yeah, because he made a whole sting. He went on Twitter immediately and threw a temper tantrum after SB 57 was vetoed. Um, but I think anybody who knows, and I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back anyway. When I saw that yeah. this bill was heading towards his desk, I said to myself, I think I probably said this on a coffee in California politics back in the day. I said, if he's smart, he's not going to sign this bill because if he, he wants it. to run for president, he's not going to sign this bill because there's no way you can go to the flyover states like Iowa and win in a primary where you, one of your bills you sign into law is to allow for the safe safe again this is air quotes safe and legal drug operation centers where people can just go and shoot up illegal drugs that's not going to fly if you want to run for president and it was a smart calculation on newsom's part i hate that he probably came to that conclusion because of political aspirations not because this is an absolutely terrible bill but sometimes you gotta be happy with the results how they happen so what are your thoughts um well, I think it it actually is interesting that it got as far as it did, considering it does somewhat contradict uh, SB 57 that we just spoke about. No, sorry, not but we're talking about that, that the CARE Act. Mm -hmm. um, drug use is illegal. And then yep. here they were trying to make it like, well, let's make it legally safe, but let's yep. also yep. arrest homeless people for crimes. And so... Uh, I felt like they actually, the two contradicted each other, but yes, like you said, early on, earlier this year, you thought Newsom would veto it simply because of his presidential aspirations. And it would not look good when it was brought up across the whole country that, you know, oh, well, he signed this SB 57 into law, allowing legal safety sites for drugs. Um, because with everything, everything is a slippery slope and I hate to be that person, but everything is a slippery slope and it's going to go beyond just like safe drugs for the homeless community and the, you know, this and that it's going to be like, suddenly it's going to be our teenagers are going to be showing up to these sites and no one's, no, and they're going to be protected. You know, we're always about protecting our kids yeah. from their parents. The parents are the bad people here. Um, so I'm, I'm very glad to see that this was vetoed. However, I, did you read his letter that he put out his statement? I did not know. I'm sorry. I should have sent it to you. I you didn't send, send you all my time. Um, so we put out a whole, I'm not going to read it, <laughs> but he, there was a few things that he said that he would like to, that he was concerned about that he would like to be addressed so that this could be brought up in the future. Mm. Like his concerns on just this and that, um, of why he vetoed it and what he would like to see reformed so that this can pass in the future. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so I don't think, be surprised. I add that you know, 
kids over the age of 14 can also use these safe drug sites because their parents are really mean and won't let them use it and drugs that is well i mean we're we're sort of headed down that road in california um mm-hmm. uh, scott weiner uh our, our favorite senator uh who is really focused on the top issues of california is has a group of other senators who are pushing for the legalization of psychedelics in california now mm-hmm. um so it, it just seems to be like they just kind of keep pushing the envelope and they keep pushing the envelope and and you know i don't see how this is really the most important thing to be pushing psychedelics um are there any other states who colorado did colorado legalize i feel like colorado legalized but i wouldn't be surprised but i, I feel- don't know it, California wouldn't be the first state to legalize psychedelics like shrooms or something, but um, it, Scott Weiner does like to put out these ever so important bills that really tackle the hard issues here in California, like protecting drag queen story hours and uh, psychedelics and stuff like that. Shows his real top priority. Um, this article I was reading, though, about these programs. So there was a test pilot program um in san francisco and mayor london breeds shut it down and there was not really a lot of uh media on it because they didn't want to make it look bad however the uk daily mail did a deep dive on it and they said san francisco's notorious taxpayer funded open air drug markets will close at the end of the year after the facility that's said to have cost 19 million dollars in taxpayer cash treated just one in every 1,000 users and failed to cut fatal overdose numbers. The Lincoln Center in Tenderloin, at the heart of San Francisco Civic Center, opened in January and was intended to help the city's large population of homeless people and drug addicts to help to find help. But critics say the site rented a cost of $75,000 a month has failed to curtail the problem in the crime-ridden city, which recently recalled its woke DA, Chesa Bodine, amid a spike of crimes blamed for a sharp decline in locals' quality of life. They note that only 0.1% of those using the site were directed to treatment in the first five months, despite the estimated 19 million spent in running costs. So if we're want to see, does this work or not? You can look at this test. Yeah, we saw the results. This, this pilot program in San Francisco did not work 0.1% for $19 million. That's how much it really helped. Um, So it's, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And like you said, it's probably going to come back with some reiteration. Okay. I don't, I, I, my bet is if it comes back with just a couple tweaks here and there, I'm not sure Newsom would even sign it. Then I think this is just a toxic thing because any smart politician is going to see the possibility of any opponent, whether it's Republican or a Democrat in the primary is going to be able to show pictures of drugged out homeless people dying in the streets of san francisco and go this is the san francisco and california newsom has run is this what you want coming to iowa and then people go no i don't want that coming to iowa don't california my iowa and like that's it like he'll be dead in the water before he even gets his foot off the ground so well uh I don't know. I know a lot of people come to California to be homeless because we pay them to be homeless. Mm -hmm. But are a lot of them like raised here? Because I'm just thinking back to, I know you weren't raised here. I was raised here. 
the dare programs that we had all oh, yeah. you know, my entire life. Like, so were those a complete failure? Um, I think I remember seeing that dare overall was not a success. Um, I don't know. I, I'd have to look that up. That'd be interesting to see whether the dare program was an overall success or not, but we I can just, look it up right now. Why do we have such rampant drug use here? I think it's because of the laxed policies um, in terms of DAs. I think it's the laxed criminal policies. Uh, Michael Schellenberger did a great job exposing that uh, video where he went and talked to the homeless people. Uh, he talked to that one homeless guy who basically spilled the beans and was like, look, people come here because I get $800 in cash. I get a certain amount of drugs. I get clean needles. I get basically provided a life to continue my addiction on the streets. And if I have no bills and I don't have anything to use it on other than food, $800 can go a long way. And if the city's not going to move me along, if I set up a tent, there's no disincentive to not be a homeless drug addict in California. It's just the most comfortable place I think people to go. The weather is good. You're not going to have to worry about freezing to death or overheating to death like in Arizona. Um, and that's just it. Like, it's just the most, all the combination of the factors just makes it the best for homeless people to show up here. I guess if they figure if I can get on a bus with my last couple hundred bucks and all my possessions and catch a bus, Greyhound bus to San Francisco, that's where I'll go. So... That's my theory. Okay. Um, I wanted to look December 20th. This is actually really recent. This was as of three days ago, the dare program. Um, I'm looking to see talk amongst yourselves. Uh, with regards to pot explicitly, 5.8% of 8th graders, 13.8% of 10th graders, and 19.4% of seniors were utilizing in 2008. Only five years after the fact, those figures expanded to 7, 18, and 22.7%. Um, it doesn't look like it was an overall success. But anyway. Uh, like 30 years the program ran, and then they figured out it was not successful? Yeah, I guess having police officers come in and, and talk about... Uh, drugs to kids and scare them with the whole, like, this is your brain on drugs. Didn't really work at the end of the day. Um, there was a story that was mentioned in this article that we didn't really talk about. And we could just touch upon briefly was the recall of Chesa Bodine. How big of that was in San Francisco and in California politics that he was recalled. Um, that was this year, right? Or was it last year? Why do I think it was last year? They're all working together. It's, no, I think it was last year. I think it was last year because there was the recall. There were two recalls going on. Yes. Yeah. So never mind. That that was not 2022. <laughs> anyway, on to so the next story. Um, my turn or your turn? It's your show, Phil. You go ahead. Well, I'm just trying to keep it even on what we want to talk about next. I think that was me. It's your turn. Okay. Um, speaking of spending money and, um, where does it all go? Uh, the California surplus that was 
bragged about to be a hundred billion dollars, ninety-seven and change, uh, is now gone. Poof, it's all gone. Excuse me. I spent it. I bought things. You spent it. California merch. California underground merch. I spent it. <laughs> you spent it. It's not that expensive <laughs> for people listening to buy that any California merch <laughs> that you need ninety six or ninety seven billion dollars. Okay, so this was when was this announced? That we're in a deficit? Um, no, sorry, that we had this like additional this surplus of ninety seven billion dollars. Um it was at the beginning well, it was last year because the budget was for this fiscal fiscal year, right? Um <laughs> as I'm reading this article from the American Spectator. California state budget has been a wash in cash as lawmakers this year enjoyed a $97.5 billion budget surplus, an excess amount that's larger than the entire general funds of all but two states, New York and Texas. Oh my God. So that was this year that it was yeah. announced. And then in 2021, the governor enjoyed a significant $76 billion surplus. So two years in a row of surpluses. Yes. And and now next year they're saying we're probably going to be what twenty five billion deficit. Is that what? Yes, the legislative, uh, what's the office called? I forget. Legislative budget office or something like that predicted because of falling revenues, uh, warning signs of the publication and law. Falling tax revenues and layoffs at Bay Area tech companies, and now it's going to be like twenty-four billion. Oh, here we go. The legislative analyst office revealed this month the legislature would face a budget problem of twenty-four billion dollars in twenty-three twenty-four. The budget problem is mainly attributable to lower revenue estimates. That's a big swing. That is a big swing, and we're we're. I'm imagining we didn't like vote out all those people on the budget committee and i imagine we just kept in the people that appointed them and didn't vote them out because they're really good at budgeting they're really terrible at budgeting well i think uh they saw 97.5 billion dollars um and their eyes got really wide and they decided we're going to spend it on a whole bunch of things including giving you more of your tax money back um it, it almost triggered a constitutional provision under the california constitution that would have required the state to give tax money back. Like you can't raise infinite amounts of tax money under the California constitution. The specific article is escaping me right now. Uh, but if you raise a certain threshold, you actually have to give some of the money back to California taxpayers. Uh, that is unless you can find things to spend it on. You can't just be sitting on a whole bunch of money. So okay. that's why he was sort of spending like a drunken sailor this year. Um, let's see, $1,500 for healthcare workers, expanded healthcare in particular, like we talked about, uh, women seeking abortions, three months of free public transit record per pupil school funding. Um, I'm sure you have comments about whether spending more money on public school per pupil is probably a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, it would be education wasn't like failing. You know, I mean, I think we talked about a few weeks ago how they want to now do the additional four years or whatever. And I just, it's like, they're failing. I think we're 48th, 49th in the nation and throwing more money at the problem hasn't solved it yet. So they need to find out 
why we're so bad at education, at public education, and fix it. No. I'm not anti-public education if 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 it works, but Correct. it's not working. Yeah, it's broken. Well, I mean, teachers unions who own and have their strings in the California legislature and with Gavin Newsom are always going to beg for more money. Yeah. When you have, you know, what is it? Superintendents who make half a million dollars, like over $500,000. Maybe we examine why, where that money's going. Like I've heard awful stories from teachers about the condition of their schools. And there's things that absolutely need to be repaired and the schools absolutely need money, but it's never going actually to the schools and to the education and to furthering the children's lives. It's always going, like you said, to the supervisors who are making $500,000. Somehow in all these education bills, in all these funding public education, there's always the fine print in that it's not really going to the schools. It's not really going to the education. It's going to the person who thinks there's some hot shot running our lives. Yeah. Um, just looking at some other things that he spent on. And this was also in advance of the recall You're election. Saving it for the alimony for the putative spouses. Yeah. We, well, that may, I don't know. Putative spouses. Got a way to drop that one in. Putative spouses may have to wait because now we have a $24 billion deficit. Um, he wanted to spend $12 billion to house the homeless, $3.4 billion to expand preschool to all four year olds, $1.5 cleaning up blight. Um, and of course, these were all things that he announced while getting a nice photo opportunity for future campaigns, whether it was the recall or the election this year, or maybe a presidential run in 2028, 20, what number are we looking at? 28 would be when he'd be up if Biden runs again. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think they'll let Biden run again and he wouldn't want to interfere with that. So I'm sure 2028. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to that we went from this huge budget surplus um, and this article I'm reading, The American Spectator. Let me ask your opinion, and this could be a topic of discussion, is do you think because of this deficit, it's going to require Gavin Newsom to become even more moderate in the next coming years if he has a deficit where he has to sit down and go, Okay, the state I was bragging has a hundred billion dollars in a surplus. Now we have a twenty-four billion dollar deficit. He's gonna have to sit down and show he can balance a budget and work across the aisle and within his own party as well and show I can do this and I can govern efficiently. Do you think he can do that? Do okay, do I think he can govern efficiently? No, but you kinda asked me two questions. Uh moderate. I imagine that will be he'll be forced into becoming more moderate and showing that he actually can fix the budget, improve the budget. But I feel like the things he's going to start cutting are going to be like, really that, really that, like, it's not going to benefit you and I, the actual taxpayers. Mm. It's going to like, he's not going to cut anything there. Mm. In my opinion, I think anything that he starts to cut is actually going to be things that might even hurt us. And, but that will be beneficial to anyone crossing the border or anyone coming in for, you know, because we're such a sanctuary state for everything now. So I feel like those things will stay protected, but the actual taxpayers here that have been here paying taxes will be the ones that won't see anything from it as usual. Yeah, I could agree What's with that. What's your opinion? I think um, he'll make concessions on stuff that doesn't hurt 
or make kind of move the needle at all. Um, which is fine. There's probably a crap ton of programs that deserve to be cut that at the end of the day, don't, we probably don't even know exist that need to we be, won't even notice when they're cut. they'll change nothing. <laughs> yeah. It won't change our daily lives, but it will be cut. Um, but I think it will also force him to be, I guess it's going to force him to be more moderate because he doesn't have just an endless amount of cash to spend. Like I think he can't just go, Oh, I'm going to fix homelessness by, spending a crap ton of money. I'm going to fix, you know, I'm going to be a sanctuary state for abortions because I have a crap ton of money. Like, I think it's going to force him to moderate his overall goals because if you're running at a deficit, especially $25 billion, you can't be running around creating a progressive utopia with when you don't have money to spend on it. And states, unlike the federal government, which can just print money and run credit and it doesn't really matter. They're just playing with like monopoly money. States can't really do that. They can't run on credit. So they have to deal with what they have. And if the state doesn't have money, the state doesn't have money. It's not like they can just print up more California bucks to make it work or finagle with the banking system. So um, it will be interesting. As a state, I don't think like we can't technically file for bankruptcy. We can't claim for you know. No, cities can. Cities ha- can definitely file for bankruptcy. New York tried to do it in the seventies, um, and Jimmy Carter said, "No, I'm not going to help bail you out." In the seventies, that's how bad New York was. New York might be on that path again. It might be headed towards the New York of the seventies. Um, so, yeah, it will be. It'll be interesting to see. He can't. He definitely can't boast about it. And I think this is going to be interesting. Let's say, hypothetically, this is all sort of under the cover of Gavin Newsom running for president in 28, which we all know he's going to do anyway, because he's always looking for that next brass ring. Is somebody, whether it's Trump or DeSantis, is going to point out, you went from a $100 billion surplus to a 25 or $24 billion deficit in one year. Explain to the American people how you took all of that money and squandered it away and went into a deficit. Is that the type of president you want running the country? Um, it may make a difference. If, with people on the left, it may not make a difference. They may say, just spend, baby, spend. I don't care. They don't know about economics as well. So... But I, I definitely think it will be something that's going to crop up down the line for him politically. This is not going to look good for him. Where did all the money go? Yeah. Um, and I think we uh, deserve to know where it went. Yeah. And they don't publish their state checkbook. So we have no idea yeah. where all of that money goes. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. I, I picked one. So you pick another one. Okay. All right. How about the so-called accidental release of the CCW information, private information? Right. Um, that happened what, back in June of this year? Yes, that happened back in June, I think. Okay, I found the article from The Reload. I think they were the one that broke the story. For like less than 24 hours during some site upgrade, it was accidentally exposed Right? Yeah, you got it. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, 
what was it, addresses, people who had applied for CCW permits, people who had them, people who had been denied, basically, if you applied in the last, I forget how many, a year, whatever it was. Um, information on like 40,000 people. I'm just yeah. trying to recall, so I might be wrong. Uh, their personal information, even including if some of these, like for some people who had um, restraining orders against their you know, abusive domestic partners and whatnot. And I think that their addresses, names, addresses, et cetera, mm -hmm. but not what's interesting is I saw that their, their uh, banking information was not released allegedly, but then he said, you should cancel your credit cards. And I was like, well, why if that, and none of the financial information was released, why are we canceling credit cards? Um, I thought that I had heard initially someone had requested this information. He was like, oh, that should be information available to the public. Was that just a, a sensationalist thing that people ran with? Uh, then when I was looking, find that again. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to put out misinformation. So I'm, I'm genuinely asking. Yeah. Um, da, 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 da. I think there was, you could request some information. Um, but all of the private information kind of got released as well. So I think they were looking for like general information and it sort of got leaked that they were able to go in and get all of the information. Um, okay. and if you were going on like Reddit, uh, the California gun subreddit, people were able to like, look up their name and they were like, I, I just looked up my name and was able to see my address, my phone number, like date of birth, like all of that stuff. Um, I think it's, you know, I don't usually like to put my tinfoil hat on, but this is one of those cases where I'm definitely putting a tinfoil hat on. And I think it's interesting that it happened so quickly after, uh, the Bruin decision, which kind of enshrined the right to carry and conceal and get your, your carry and conceal permit. Um, even though the attorney general released a letter and said, Hey, we're, we, instruct all of law enforcement sheriffs and stuff like that to comply with this new Bruin decision. We're not going to stand in the way. We're not going to do anything. And then all of a sudden, oopsie, we're going to share all of your information and sorry, it's all out there now. So everybody knows if you have a carrying conceal permit, um, which brings up a whole host of issues of safety to the person, not only for identity theft, but, whether or not you know somebody who's, oh, they have a carry and conceal, but I don't know where they live. But now you do. You have their address, you have their phone number, you have your, their date of birth. Um, uh, There's a lot of safety concerns as well. Although I don't know how smart you would be if you're going to go after somebody who has a carry and conceal permit at their home address. Probably means they're also packing something else. Right. I agree. But if it's, yeah, I agree. But there's definitely safety issues for sure. Yeah. And I think it will also has yeah. a very strong chilling effect on people who initially may have heard the ruling from the Supreme Court and are in counties where like San Francisco or LA, where it's really hard to get a CCW. And now all of a sudden the Supreme Court says, nope, you have to issue. You don't need good cause anymore. Everybody shall issue now. Um, so you have a lot of people in those counties who before could not get it 
are now all of a sudden going, uh, maybe I shouldn't get it because I don't want my name breached or given out by the California attorney general. I felt like it was very, it was, it, it, it reeked of retribution by Rob Bonta. Mm-hmm. It just seemed too convenient that mere days after the decision came out, <coughs> excuse me, that this came out, all the information was out there and effectively chills the want of people to go get a CCW in California. Right. But he was reelected. Oh yeah. I mean, he was reelected resoundingly. That didn't change. (laughs) That didn't change anything, but what's also he's hypocrisy back in May. So just weeks before this happened, he was like really on about the health apps about, you know, you need to keep users health information private. They have a fundamental right to their privacy. It's in the constitution, their privacy, their health information, private, private, private. And I think that's not the first time he's said that and he's made statements and he's passed other things or has had, right? Like where all these privacy acts, the consumer privacy act, like he acts like he's so big on privacy and, you know, your constitutional right to privacy, but then all of a sudden the gun owners were under it literal attack. Yeah. I mean, that's because in California, they see gun owners really as sort of second-class citizens because they view gun ownership as a second-class right. Um, Right. So it's not surprising they did this. It was probably, and of course, in an investigation of themselves, they determined, oh, we didn't do anything (laughs) wrong. Uh, It was was purely accidental. (laughs) We didn't do anything wrong. Um, I also, when I investigate myself, didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. When I, when I, I I (laughs) usually question myself, did I do anything wrong? No, I didn't do anything wrong. You always talk yourself out of it. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, so there was no repercussions. There was no no consequences. There was nothing that happened to Rob Bonta. There was nothing that happened to anybody who was involved in this. Uh, but all I can say is to anyone listening, still go out and get your CCW. Don't be, I agree. I think if he, if he did this once, gun rights are women's rights. Guns rights are absolutely women's it. rights, and especially carrying conceal. Definitely a great equalizer when you're out in public. Um, so yeah, I think he can get away with it once. I, I think if it happens again, people are going to be like, okay, now we know you're just doing it on purpose. Unless he investigates himself again and goes, no, we just, we <laughs> They wouldn't. They'd be elected for some other office. He'll, he'll be governor, probably. Yeah. Rob Bonta. Yeah. That's scary. I think he's. I forget. I think he might have a. He might be like have opened up a for lieutenant governor for twenty twenty six. He's on there for something. I forget. Yeah, I, I could see that. But a lot of times they also do that so they can just park money that they have left over from campaigns right. that they have to close down. Right. Um. Okay. So. Okay. That was a big story. Sure. Uh, I'm trying to think of, I guess the last one that a lot of people, oh, excuse me, the last one that a lot of people were asking about uh, or people commented on Instagram when I put this poll out there is the issue of reparations. Um, oh, yes. So California has created this task force. Um, it was, it's been around for couple years now shirley weber yes. who was who is the secretary of state now she was the assemblywoman who started the task force 
Um, and it finally came to a determination that at first they were going to give reparations, monetary reparations in the amount of $223,000. Um, and then it got up to $475,000, almost $500,000. So the number keeps growing with every report that keeps coming out. Um, it's the first of its kind. So way to go, California. It's the first of its kind. And I don't know how much the appetite is going to be for reparations in a state that was not a slave state, um, in a state that was formerly owned and occupied by Mexico, which was formerly owned and occupied by indigenous people, how well that's going to go over. Um, I think it's, it's a hot button issue. Yes. So, um, I have questions on this. I do that you're not going to be able to answer, but I still have questions and comments. So, this task force, this was, they're still working on the numbers and they have to do all sorts of research. And, uh, you know, they like one of the things part of this SB, what was it like? I forget now. <laughs> one, one, two, ones. I forget. I'm sorry. Um, they, so they, that passing was for the task force. Like, okay, we need to put together this task force that will figure out how to educate the public on, you know, why we're doing this and the number that we need to come up with. I'd want to know how far this is going to go and how deep this is going to go. Um, for example, a, uh, one of the things it says is that it's, you know, to give black people the reparations, especially those who have um, ancestry who were slaves. So how do it says black people, especially not only. So it's like, okay, how black residents of California, it, does it go to all black residents of California? Do they have to have been res residents for a certain amount of time? Mm -hmm. Um, they get more money if they can prove that both of their parents were ancestors of slaves kind of thing. Like if they can prove lineage on both sides of their family. Mm -hmm. um, but then obviously this has already passed. This is going to happen. Who knows how much, how far are we going to take this? And I mean, we, we were, slavery was a horrible thing. And we, it, was, it happened. Like I'm not denying that. And I think that there is definitely things that were taken. Like I am very into Holocaust, World War II history. And one of the things that like, actually the woman in gold was a book that I don't know if you, or it was a movie and I don't know if you would have read it because there was like a whole law thing there. So fascinating to me how this painting that was owned by this Jewish family and the Nazis had stolen it. The first half of the book is all like the history of the family and the Holocaust and their, you know, whole ordeal during World War II. The second was like the law, how they, it was proven with the law that this was belonged to their family and how they got it back from Germany and reparations and yeah there's things that were stolen from people 100 mm. and they should be given back but this seems to be for all black people residents of california so if they moved here from another country a few years ago like is this do they get reparations do they need to be a certain percentage of black i know i joke with you that i'm two percent nigerian with a dna test to prove it that's true 
I'm 2% Nigerian. I don't look it. <laughs> it's in my DNA test. No, I'm not going to fight for reparations, but does that mean that someone like me would be owed reparations? How me, this white girl, how am I 2% Nigerian? Okay, next up, Japanese. We have them in camps. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. Like, so is it their turn next? Probably should be. Um, how about the, you know, the people that we did steal this land from Mexico? Yeah. Or the indigenous. So how far? So. Yes. Um, well, I, I think the first question I can answer regarding who qualifies, and I think the task force has said they, you would have to be able to prove based on lineage that you did descend from someone who was a slave. Um, so to answer your question, could it be someone who moves from a country in Africa um, and they just show up and they say, hey, I want to get, you can't do that. Um, it has to be through lineage to show great, great, great grandmother, grandparent was a slave and therefore I'm a descendant of that slave. Um, so that, I, I think that's going to be the tricky part is to show lineage is going to be requiring people what if you can't find records how do you figure it out um how do you verify that these are the correct records um of the certain people applying um and to your other question how long do you have to be a resident of california uh because if you are, if you can prove, if you've done Ancestry.com or you've done your research and you say, yeah, I'm a descendant of slaves. If I move to California, I'm going to get $500,000. What's the cutoff of people moving to California and getting that? Because right now, going back to a previous story, we're at a $24 billion deficit and this would cost... I think I did the calculations. It would quite literally bankrupt the entire state. Like the amount of money it would take is almost the amount it, like we run our budgets at. I think I did the math right. At $500,000, they estimated how many people in California would classify. I think I did the math and I was like, I forget what the number is, but yeah. It's uh, it, it would literally, quite literally bankrupt the state to the point where you couldn't give money to public schools you can get money to first responders like every government program would be cut off for this program to pass um and i i don't think again this is all interconnected politics is all interconnected let's say hypothetically the task force comes out by june gives their final number goes to the legislature a legislature who doesn't care because they most of them are far left Democrats from the Bay Area who don't care about spending money. Go, yeah, this is great. Let's do it. We're, we're going to do this. We're going to be the first in the nation for reparations. This bill lands on Gavin Newsom's desk. He's looking at a price tag that would dwarf the state's budget while we're in a deficit. And now he has to either sign it and it would be a suicide for the state or veto it. And then have to answer to people why he vetoed reparations, why he as a privileged white man vetoed reparations. I would not, I don't envy when that bill shows up on Gavin Newsom's desk and he has to figure out so what to, what's that? He's going to lose either way when it comes to this. Yeah, I think he's, 
he's kind of screwed if he does and screwed if he doesn't like either he either signs it and they figure out how to spend the money um and you know it's not going to go smoothly and perfectly you know there's going to be kinks to it i mean look at how much how much money was lost in the edd fraud during covid how many millions and hundreds of millions of dollars went to people in prison and falsified accounts and stuff like that like who weren't supposed to be getting it so i could definitely see this having the same exact issues um well we also love to be a sanctuary state on everything like yeah that would be the next step yep um so that's that's my thoughts on it. I, it's it's interesting that it's made it. I will admit this is one thing I got wrong. I didn't think this was going to get as far as it did. I thought this was purely virtue signaling. I thought it was started to say, "Hey, look, we're going to do this." Um, but now it's it's plugging away. They've made their recommendations. They're going to make their recommendations to the legislature. It may not get out of the legislature either. The legislature may just be like, like the budgetary committee may look at this and go, we don't have the money for all of this. So we're not going to put this to the floor. It may not even get voted on. Like it may not make it past committees, but either way, I think it does raise a lot of questions um, that a lot of other people in California are going to kind of be like, like you brought up. Japanese Americans who were interned against their will, um, Mexican Americans who were the the land was taken from, or and the indigenous people here in California who was taken from, or people from China and they were used on railroads, basically slave labor there, where they were paid like nothing to work on the the railroads. Like, how far do we go to kind of cure the ills of the past? And how do you look at people with different backgrounds and say, it's your responsibility to pay for this? Um, I always say the example that like when, for me personally, I'm Italian and when slavery was happening in America, my ancestors were, I don't know, pushing carts around the hills of Italy. Like it, there was nothing we had no direct connection. We were a whole ocean away from slavery. Do the African nations that originally sold slaves to America, do they kick in for reparations? Like at where do we, you know, it's a big kind of big matzo ball to unravel. Um, but it, it's in California fashion, it's, it's progressing forward. And interestingly, and not so interestingly, there's nine people on this task force. And all of them are Democrats. Yeah, which is interesting because... It's obviously, you know... <laughs> it's not a one-sided issue at all. Um, the woman that's in charge of the task force is young. She seems very intelligent, very educated, but she just got her... Uh, her she just kept passed the bar January 21. Hmm. So she's newly... She's very... Very young. Newly licensed. Interesting. Um, we have talked about having a guest on to talk more about reparations, who I think would be more qualified than us to talk about reparations. Hopefully we can get that guest on and um, we'll reveal who that guest could be. Uh, but at this point, it was one of the biggest stories, I think, of 2022. And people in my comments on the poll said that this was something they wanted us to talk about. Keep an eye on it. It's it's plugging away. And 
in typical California fashion, if it doesn't make sense, doesn't matter. They'll still go for it. So don't expect things to come out of Sacramento that make any sort of economic or common sense. Like that's just Sacramento in a nutshell. So, all right. We've been about an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, I think we got to a good amount of the top stories. I think we hit basically all of them, didn't we? I mean, I'm really sad that you didn't want to discuss the California date shake. I I was just going to mention, we did not get to talk about how the date shake would be the official milkshake of California. I, I have never had a milkshake or a date shake. I I think that's a, is that like an Inland Empire thing or something? I don't know. I don't know. I've never had that either, but did you just say you've never had a milkshake or were you? I've never, I've never had a date shake. Okay. Yes. I, I, my typical order at In-N-Out involves a Neapolitan shake. So. I've had plenty of milkshakes in my life, Um, but I've never had a date shake and it sounds disgusting. People, I don't know. Yeah. That does sound disgusting. And if they're going to argue for a California date shake, that is for a California shake date shake, ain't it? Yeah. It's a very specific thing. Like I don't, first off, we do need an official milkshake. And second off, it should just be the Neapolitan shake from in and out. Like, now we are discussing it. I'm so glad. No, but this is disgusting. But if we were going to, shouldn't it be like avocado? An avocado milkshake? I know that. Yes. And of course it's disgusting, but like, isn't that like our, our fruit? Like, is that the state fruit? California. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. We're, but we're going to look the, this up right now. Date the fruit? Maybe, yeah, you need to look that up. Maybe dates are the fruit. And I'm so unaware of this. State fruit of California. Has the California burrito been named the official burrito of California? Um, okay. Okay. Uh, as of this year, November 3rd, 2022, uh, the unofficial fruit state fruit is the, Oh, hold on. The unofficial ready. Wait. Come on. Come on, sound effects. Oh, this is embarrassing. Yeah, this is really embarrassing. I'm embarrassed to be here right now. <laughs> You're just going to sign off right now. <laughs> You're like, forget it. Bye. Good night. No. There we go. The avocado is the unofficial See? state fruit. See? Now, yes, that's disgusting, but... Doesn't that make sense? It does make sense, but it says there's no official state fruit of California. Well, it's unofficial. It's unofficially official. That's unofficial. I mean, that's probably about as official as So how can we, in the list of priorities, worry about naming a official state milkshake other than a state fruit? I know. I think we need to make the state fruit a thing. I, I think we need to make that official. Yeah. Why not just I feel like we have make avocados the state fruit yeah 2023 will be the year of making california state fruit and it will be avocados i don't like avocados and i have a couple avocado trees in my backyard that are totally ripe right now but that's so so very unsouthern californian of you to not like avocados i don't i don't like in and out either or chick-fil-a oh my god and now i'm leaving (laughs) you should now i'm ending this podcast (laughs) but anyway uh yeah the date shake uh, that was just a joke that we were laughing about that that was one of the top stories that nobody well, because, 
because it was actually a proposed thing, just to clarify, it was a proposed thing that somebody of all the issues that we were facing, like we need an official date shake, let's. Yeah. So Ta that's why we're joking about it. Tackling the tough issues in California. Yeah. So yeah. I apologize to anybody who actually loves date shakes. Some people, I think I remember posting about it and some people, my DMs were like, no, a date shake is delicious. I'm like, mm. I don't know. It sounds kind of gross, but no. I've never been anywhere in San Diego where I've seen a date shake on the menu. So it's it's definitely a. And I've lived here my entire life. I've never seen that. And it's tough to name anything in California like the official state, whatever, because California is so big. Like mm -hmm. what we consider us down here in Southern California, we can be like, oh, this is totally like what we imagine should be the state fruit or this should be the state burrito or something like other people could be like, no, like we don't think it should be the avocado or whatever. We think it should be the almond or the strawberry or almonds, not a fruit. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, which is exactly why it should be the state fruit. We are diverse. Yes. Yes. On that note, um, any other final thoughts about 2022? Anything you're looking forward to in 2023? There's no election. I'm looking forward to a lot of 2023. But, you know, we will discuss more things later. Yes. There'll be bigger plans in 2023. We're going to talk about more in 2023. Um, all right. Well, that's our roundup for the uh, 2022. Looking forward to it. And. As always, when I just when I think California or like politics in general, and especially in California, aren't going to get any more interesting. Every year surprises me, so I always look forward to the next year because something's going to happen where you go, okay, it just gets weirder and weirder. Um, so on that note, uh, like I always like to end every show. If you like this show, the best way to support it, uh, in addition to getting awesome merch like Camille's rocking right now. Uh, is to just send it to a friend, text it, let somebody know, say, hey, check out this podcast, um, listen to it, share it with your friends. Um, make sure to like, share, subscribe, review, all that stuff. YouTube, Spotify, Google helps the algorithm, helps people find us. Um, and we'll see you all again next week. Have a good night, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Have a good night. <laughs>